0: Let's go to God in prayer before we open up our text this morning. Father, we come to you this morning grateful for who you are, for who you've called us to be as your people, for your presence among us, for the way that you lead us and for the way that you guide us, for the way that you protect us, the way that you strengthen and encourage us day in and day out. I thank you for a time and a space where we can come together and we can meet as family, as brothers and sisters, as people who are bound together by the blood of your Son and our Savior. And that we can come here and we can bring you praise and we can bring you worship in a way that is hopefully pleasing to you. But also in an environment of freedom that many in this world don't experience. Pray that we would not take those things for granted, but we would be mindful of the privilege that we have to gather in your name. For the next few moments, as we open your word and, and seek to discover more about you, your character, your nature, and really who you've called us to be in this world, I pray that we would be still, that our hearts would be available to you, that our minds would be open and clear, we would see the way your spirit would move within us. And I pray as we leave this place for boldness, for courage, and for wisdom to discern where your spirit goes. How you call us into different aspects of life. And I pray that people would know who you are by the way that we live. May we be a testimony. A testimony of your gospel in this culture. In this world. In the circles in which we live. To your love, your grace, and your mercy. We thank you for Jesus, in whose name we ask these things. Amen. All right, I believe. uh, John, I appreciate that song. We saw thee not. So many of those statements. I don't know if you heard that, or maybe it rang some bells. Maybe, maybe it didn't. I don't know. Uh, But we believe. But we believe. We didn't see these things happen, but we believe makes that statement several different times in that song. And really that's what this series has been about. What are those basic tenets of our faith as Christians? Um, And this morning we're going to look at what it means when we say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Or more likely what it's going to look like, uh, what it looks like for us practically to be forgiven. And to live as people who are forgiving. Because forgiveness is the thing that motivates us, is it not? It's the reason Jesus came was to bring a path of restoration. And in order for that restoration to occur, the sins that live, that exist in our life have to be forgiven. And so this is one of the things that really sits at the core of what it means to be a Christian. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Um, let's read the, uh, the text here. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, uh, and go on down through chapter 2. In verse 2. Um, he says, Now this is the message we have heard from him, and we declare to you that God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and we are not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say we don't have any sin, we make Him out to be a liar and His word is not in us, my children. I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin, but if anyone does, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He Himself is a propitiation of our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. See, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I have to believe in the forgiveness of sins. I understand Why Jesus came and and the nature of his sacrifice and how that uh, relates to us in life. If we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. In the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. It's a powerful statement. It is, and as we talked about in class on Wednesday night and a little bit last Sunday, we have this aspect of our, of our gathering of fellowship. One that we frequently overlook as just kind of one of those other things that exist when we are in the church. But one of the things that, that is significant about the church is this act of fellowship, that fellowship is one of the ways in which we worship the Father. This is what John says in 1 John, If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Fellowship is not just an also. Of Christianity, it's not like we get together and we sing and we pray and we hear teaching and we take the Lord's Supper and and, and, we, and we do these things and, and then also afterwards we have a little bit of fellowship. No, the whole thing is about fellowship. The whole thing of the church of our existence as brothers and sisters is community. And within that community, we do these things, but it exists because of the fellowship that we have, because. Of Jesus and, and, and forgiveness of sin that comes through Christ. He forgives us of our past sin. He forgives us of our present sin. He forgives us of our future sin. Can you imagine what it is? How, I mean, to be so forgiving that you can say, you know what, I know what you're about to do, and I forgive you before you do it. I don't work that way. At least not without a heavy dose of intentionality. Right? It, it's not my nature to forgive you for something you haven't done yet. It's like I expect you to not do the thing that you're about to do that's going to hurt me. But in Christ we are forgiven of sins that we have not even yet committed. Sins of an entire world that would come that were not yet committed. Jesus bore the penalty of those sins. Past, present, and future. They are forgiven. I don't know if you know the names, Dan and Lynn Wagner. Uh, They were at an evangelism conference for a church that they were attending. um, Just a few days after 9-11. They they're on their way home when a suburban ran a stop sign obliterated the car that they were in. Dan and Lynn were taken to the hospital with severe injuries, head, neck, shoulder, broken ribs, um, dislocated pelvis. Um, It was terrible. But the worst was when they finally came out of their comas, each of them, they learned that their two daughters, Maddie um, and, and Lynn, I believe also, had died in the accident. They were taken away from them. Um, Carrie and Mandy, I'm sorry, Carrie and Mandy had died in the accident. And I can't imagine what that must have been like. I, I I have children, and I can't imagine what it is like to all of a sudden lose everything. But I know that many have gone through that. They weren't the first, and they won't be the last to endure what they did, uh, but to know that it was by the hand of someone who was on cocaine, methamphetamines, and drunk on alcohol while they were driving behind the wheel of a car and snuffed out the life of their two young, promising young girls. And Dan talked about his progress as he began to process what was going on You know, he said he began to wonder, would our marriage even last? Because so many people go through something like this, and not only does it take their children away, but it ruins their marriages as well. The driver of the suburban pled guilty, so they didn't have to go to court. They went to state prison, and Dan said, my anger and resentment towards God began to slowly burn. As I read through scripture and I came across promise after promise after promise of God's protection. But he said apparently that didn't apply to me. Why didn't it apply to me? And he said it wasn't overnight but as slowly as it grew it began to diminish. As Dan and Lynn chose to trust God in the face of this greatest adversity in their life. That they not only chose to trust God, but they chose to forgive Lisa, the driver of the Suburban. And in August of 2008, almost seven years later, almost seven years to the day of the accident, they learned that Lisa was going to be released from prison. She had served 85% of her sentence. And so they called the parole officer and asked if they could meet Lisa before she was released. And so they went up to the jail on the day that she was to be released, and on her way out, they met with a woman who had killed their two daughters. And while they met with her and the parole officer, he said when Dan said when he gave her a hug, he felt this wave of emotions just completely engulf him. They learned that while Lisa was in prison, she met a man who told her about the gospel of Jesus. She learned about Jesus and who he was, and she became a Christian. And as they sat and talked with Lisa about her release and what was going to happen, they were able to sit and forgive her face to face, and they learned about her. And Lynn said, she has become like a daughter to me since she was released. And as they're leaving, the parole officer looks at him and says, I've never seen anything like this before. And they talked about what it means to be reconciled, the, the gospel of reconciliation that comes through Jesus Christ. These two parents, these two Christians were able to forgive a woman, not only because they were commanded by God to forgive, but because they realized something that many people don't realize. They realized the massive amount of forgiveness they had received from God. They realized the the massive amount of responsibility that comes with being forgiven of so much. They also recognize the hope that comes when that forgiveness is passed on to others in the same measure. There are many stories that don't end the same way. There are many of those stories that end with someone facing such a tragedy and saying, I'll never forgive. I'll never forgive. And to me, that's an even worse tragedy. As it's now affected even more than the one life or the two lives that it took but it's affecting the life that still lives and the life that is to come forgiveness I've not read many stories than, like this one of Dan and Lynn Wagner that are more illustrative of the difference that Jesus factor makes not just in the church but in the world. The way the gospel of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins can change the world in which we live as well as the church as a whole. It changes us. It changes the world we impact. We can invite Christ into a situation that appears to be wrecked. In some way, somehow, He makes sense of it. Because forgiveness brings healing. It brings hope. And it brings unity back where it once was. In Christ, even the sins you have not yet committed have already been forgiven because Jesus Christ died for you. The sins of the world have already been nailed to the cross. And the forgiveness of sins has already been offered. Jesus demonstrated much of this same kind while he was on the cross. You remember, as he, as he is being nailed to the cross, as he is being spit upon, as he is being hoisted up and ridiculed and mocked, he stands and he looks down at the people that have just been beating him, that have been flogging him, that have been driven the nails into his hands and to his feet. And he prays the prayer, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Different level of forgiveness than we are accustomed to practicing. But in Christ, our sins are forgiven. And our lives as Christians are marked by repentance. Because when we understand how much we have been forgiven, we are not content to just continue to live in the life of of sin, and the life of evil, and the life of wrongness that causes a need for such forgiveness, for such sacrifice. And, and so the life of a Christian is marked by repentance. And, and repentance just means that we are constantly seeking a new way to live. Right? It doesn't mean that we live a life of, of, of penance, that we are constantly being you know, punished and have this thing that we have to make up for just means that we know we are better we know that we are called to something better and we know that jesus didn't deserve what he got but he took it for me and i know that there are things in my life that need to be changed and i live a life that says i will constantly seek a better way and that's what it means to be marked by repentance and it's not even that our, our our guilt is lorded over us right that's our temptation as humans Oh, I I remember when you hurt me, and it's going to keep coming up. (laughs) Time after time, when I find myself backed into a corner, I'm going to pull that arrow out, and I'm going to launch it. And it might have been one year ago. It might have been two years ago. It might have been five. It might have been a lifetime ago. But we're not very good at forgetting when we've been hurt. Forgive and forget. Biggest lie humans ever told one another. God can forget. God does forget your sin once it is forgiven. But not only do we not really have the ability to forget, what we do have the ability to is to continue to remember and to continue to remind. We remind people, no, you still owe me. You still owe me big time. There's going to be a whole bunch of favors to come before you've paid off that debt. And we don't fight fair when it comes to those things. We don't argue fair when it comes to those kinds of hurts. And we have the ability to hold those things and keep score, right? But if you read First Corinthians 13, that's not what love's supposed to look like. That doesn't mean that's what we do, though, right? Love keeps no record of wrongs. Like, well, sometimes I'm just not loving because I'm keeping a record. <laughs> Love suffers long. Well, I don't know, maybe I'm not feeling too loving today because I'm not feeling like suffering very long. So we're putting love on the shelf for a moment because I'm going to win this argument and I'm going to win this fight. But when we live a life of repentance, we are constantly seeking a better way. And to be constantly in a state of repentance doesn't mean that God treats us that way either because God doesn't look at us and see forgiven sinner. He looks at us and sees His Son. For those who are in Christ, He doesn't see the things that we've done wrong. He doesn't see the blemishes that have been repaired. He doesn't see the tears that have been sewn back together. He sees His perfect Son. Because we are hidden in Him. We live a life of repentance and, and a big part of repentance is confession. And, and confession is something that we've kind of missed out on. We kind of skip over it and we know that it's a part of, of what goes on. We know that it's important because the Bible talks about it over and over again. Uh, but we're not good at confessing, neither publicly nor privately. Right? I just want to say I'm sorry and be done with it but i teach my kids we're going to say i'm sorry and you're going to say what you're sorry for sometimes we've we've been in fights we say look i'm sorry really what are you sorry for are you sorry for what you did are you sorry for what it made me feel or are you just sorry you got caught and most of the time i don't want to say what i'm sorry for because most of the time i'm just simply sorry that i got caught and that kind of an apology just doesn't fly it doesn't sit well it doesn't stay But there is this this great importance in confessing what it is that we've done wrong and where it is that we've erred and acknowledging the hurt that we have caused both to people who we love and to God and to ourselves. That that kind of personal confession is important but it's so often overlooked. And, And here's the thing about confession it doesn't mean that we have to go to someone else and confess those deeds before someone else so they can take them to God confessing just means that we choose to agree with God and recognize where we have been wrong where we have made mistakes and we can go straight to our high priest in Jesus we can go straight to Him on our own and confess our sins directly to Him in order to be forgiven. And when I have wronged you, I can come to you and say, I'm, I'm sorry that I did what I did. And in acknowledging those things, we allow them to be healed and we open up that door for forgiveness to, to come back in along with us. James Chapter 5 and verse 16 writes these things about confession. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The urgent request of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Confession and forgiveness brings about a healing that you just can't receive otherwise. Because if we don't know how to forgive and if we don't know how to confess those things that are wrong in our lives, they just sit and they fester. And they get worse and worse and worse over time. And it builds until it just erupts. And man, when it erupts, it's messy. And most of the time, when when that kind of a sore in my life erupts, it erupts on the wrong people at the wrong time. And the people who reap the consequences of my harboring those things... 't deserve it. They didn't have it coming. they're not even the source of my hurt or my anxiety, but it's that pent-up energy, that pent-up hurt that I've been holding because I know something's wrong. I just haven't dealt with it. And Christ on the cross has turned aside the wrath of God because that is what, that's what I deserve. I deserve his anger. I deserve his judgment. But Christ turned away the wrath of God. He took what was due for me. And because he paid the price of my sin, I can receive the forgiveness of God. Look at what John writes in, in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. We just read it a moment ago, but he comes back. He says, my little children, I'm writing you these things. So that you may not sin. Right? That, is, that is the goal. That is the goal, that you live a life without sin. He goes, but, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is a propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. We'll say it again. The world is not our enemy. The world is our objective. For Christ so loved the world that he gave himself. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And Jesus died not only for your sin, but for the sins of the whole world. Maybe we should tell them. Maybe we should tell them that there is someone who has paid the price and is just waiting for them to come and accept it. The Greek in this verse literally says, He is the one who turns aside God's wrath, taking away our sins. That is what propitiation means. It means that God, that Jesus took the wrath that was due to us and bore it on Himself that our sins may be washed away. The holiness of God demands that something be paid and Jesus willingly paid it all. God made Him who had no sin to become sin for you so that you might become the righteousness of God Think about that Think about God himself tasting the essence of hell so that you might become the righteousness of God This radical forgiveness Radical forgiveness that we often just don't understand. We don't necessarily have to understand it. but We do have to accept it. And by accepting the forgiveness of sins that Jesus offers us, that we are offered in God through Christ, we also place in ourselves a position of responsibility to live with that same kind of forgiveness. There's a song that we sing from time to time. I think Aaron has uh, sung it with us before. Um, if not, he will. We've sung it on on Sunday nights, maybe before the throne of God above. And the lyrics say this: "Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great High Priest whose name is Love, whoever lives." And pleads for me. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Behold Him there, the risen Lamb, my perfect, spotless righteousness, the great, unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of grace. One with Himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by His blood. My life is hidden with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. My name is graven on His hands. My name is written on His heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me to depart. To look on him and to pardon me. It's the kind of love we will live a lifetime trying to wrap our minds around. But it is the love and it is the forgiveness we are offered in Christ Jesus. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Maybe you need to claim forgiveness this morning. To become a child of God, to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and eternal life. Or maybe you need help finding your way back to a path that you know is right. If there's any way the church can be of assistance to you this morning, you can make it known at this time as we stand.